Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Blit, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. The often bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we are talking a movie classic. Our first Patreon. Take it easy. (laughs) (laughs) It may be debatable that it's a movie classic, but it is definitely one of the most eminently quotable films of all time. 1989's Troop Beverly Hills. Oh, man. We knew this day was coming, right? This is the first movie that's been suggested as a Patreon perk by one of our dedicated and passionate supporters, The Sneak. Who we've referenced in previous episodes, although you weren't necessarily happy that it was Troop Beverly Hills. I I knew it was an inevitability. And when The Sneak touts Troop Beverly Hills continuously as her all-time favorite movie... You have to temper that enthusiasm, right? I mean, she went to film school, for God's sake. You don't, you can't, there's other, you you want, you. (laughs) But that doesn't mean that True Beverly Hills is not good. Yeah. Amy recognizes that this film is ultimately cheesy, but she finds it to be so good and so satisfying. And I mean, it's no hangover. But I could see why it has a place, a special place in her heart. Right. And it does have a special place in mine as well. Look, we've reviewed movies like La Bamba. Splash. The Hangover. Movies that come from our childhoods. Movies that before we knew the implications of the things they're saying were the cadence and the rhythm of the speech were in our heads. Right. Things that we get different glimpses of and concepts of as an adult. Do you remember watching this movie? Of course. And when she said... Will you stop? Will you please stop? It yeah, the, the, triggered the, the something. The that made me laugh. You know, it triggered something in me <laughs> because, there, you know, we always talk about the things that we know and that we can recall, uh, obviously, when you think about the movie as an adult. But then there are the hidden things like the Bob vampire thing from La Bamba yes, where it comes right. out of the blue or the skeleton from The Last Unicorn. And yes. you're like, oh, yeah. For me, it was the little kid going... <laughs> Who's got my golden arm? <laughs> oh, so weird. But I think, didn't we tell that story as kids? 
I don't recall. Did we get it from this movie? It's weird how, how things blend. And I honestly, I could kind of see a little bit of the sneak in Shelley Long. It says when, when these movies come about in your formative years, they definitely have an impact on how you conduct yourself. A hundred percent. You know who Shelley Long reminded me of? Who? Lucille Ball. Yep. I got the same thing and I wrote it down to make sure that I don't neglect to mention it. I don't think it was just because of the red hair. I was going to say the same thing. She wasn't overtly zany, but definitely some of her motivations and her sort of go get him hands on hips kind of attitude was all about Lucille Ball. And then kind of her harebrained schemes and workarounds. Also her dynamic. Harebrained. Her dynamic with Muffin Man. <laughs> Neffler the Muffler Man. Her dynamic with Neffler was very Lucy and Ricky. Yeah. But it was funny because it was the 80s, late 80s at that, and it was kind of reflective of like a 1950s relationship where like yeah. the dude's the breadwinner and the chick spends money and is kind of a socialite and doesn't really do much. Yeah, when you get to disproportionate wealth, right, in order to maintain the lifestyle, how many people in that era or in any era would both people contribute financially equally to a household? It seems like he's the successful muffler dude, and she is, as she put it, his Beverly Hills wife, right, who has to maintain the appearance. Yeah, basically who was fulfilling his, his vision or his dream for his life of having that Beverly Hills wife. But why did he have to go to law school to become a muffin man? <laughs> muffler man. <laughs> he wasn't Neffin the muffin man. He was Neffler the muffler man. Um, I don't know. That's just where he ended up. It's not where either of them expected to be, but also they ended up in a gigantic mansion in Beverly Hills driving Rolls Royces. That's a lot of mufflers. Not to mention the $5,000 ball gown for no event. Well, it's missing a bead, though. How can she show up in society like that? How can she show yeah. up at a social... If she notices the bead, everybody notices the bead. But also, like 1950s I Love Lucy, whole lot of smoking in this movie. She was smoking in the troop meeting. She was a chimney. Not to mention, she had another dirty habit. The swearing? Oh, my God, the swearing. Yeah, swearing. For the, this is typical, I guess, of 80s movies even for kids right i mean stand by we me and things were this. yeah definitely but still this was not a movie for adults right this is definitely a movie for kids no i think this has the same well so it's similar to splash in the sense that there was a lot of racy humor in an otherwise fairy tale-esque kind of pseudo kids movie by racy humor you mean overt sexual innuendo <laughs> overt sexual in innuendo profanity some I don't know what to call it. Like, how is it offensive when Velda calls them the bimbesses? Yeah, the bimbesses. When I was I mentioned to Kelly that I think bimbo in that application is a specifically feminine term, right? Is it like bimbitos? <laughs> I'm not sure. I think that was yeah. just the Veldaization of bimbos. Yeah. Uh, she also called them little bitches. So Velda Plender, not one to mince words. Yeah, dude. Especially in the 80s. It was a different time. It was a different time. It was a different kind of movie. Kelly said that this movie didn't age particularly well. She wasn't as familiar with it as we were as kids. And so I really tried to pin down what felt dated about this movie. And definitely there's things like the smoking and the swearing and things. But it didn't feel offensive at any time 
I mean, you're like, whoa, that, that wouldn't fly now. But none of the things from the 80s would fly now in, in, in movies like this. It didn't feel remotely offensive. I don't remember the swearing or the smoking so that I was surprised by it this time around. But it definitely didn't feel like, oh, True Beverly Hills is such a fun movie, but it has those elements. I never felt like that when we were kids. But we totally watched this when we were kids. And if it was meant for kids, I mean, maybe the TV, maybe we only saw the TV version and the TV version probably omitted Margot giving her mom the quote, his manhood rises to a frenzy. You wrote that or, down, didn't you? Of course I did. And then they probably cut out Cherry, not Cherry. <laughs> <laughs> they probably cut out um, the redheaded, the redheaded chick um, giving the old people a penthouse, like for reals. And that kind of like Splash, right, where where Freddie's looking at the penthouses in Alan's office and things. And then in this one, I was looking at IMDb and they have the profanity and nudity and, and things like that, the parental guides on IMDb. And I never checked that stuff before the movie, but I was curious to see, you know, how how much people reacted to the smoking and the swearing. And it did say that at some point a mag for, for the sexual stuff that a magazine was handed to a guy which implied that they were giving him something with racy pictures. And whereas in the movie in the theatrical cut, it was definitely front and center penthouse, right? So right. definitely for the edited version, something happened where they blurred it or something because it wasn't overt. Right. Okay. So yeah, I think maybe the TV version was meant for a safe kids viewing experience and then whatever, I guess you got whatever you got on VHS that's on you. We'll never know because if we had a VHS copy of this movie, which I'm pretty sure we did, it's lost to time. Right. So I don't know. I don't feel like this. Obviously, this movie is dated. And the problem is because when it comes to wealth like this, it's all about the most current styles. It's all about fashion. It's all about the cars you drive and things. And everything is as contemporary as it can be. And when everything is as contemporary as it can be and adheres to the themes and fashions of the time, that stuff gets really dated. Yeah. I mean, it felt very 80s in the sense that there were there were many movies where Beverly Hills was a character, but it did feel like it laid the groundwork for Clueless, you know, another Beverly Hills movie that I watched recently, which didn't feel as dated. I mean, the fashion's always going to feel dated, right? Yep. But I think Beverly Hills as a character, or as a caricature, because obviously there's there are other parts of Beverly Hills, but like the Rodeo Drive Beverly Hills, I feel like is still this fantasy land, wealth land or whatever that, that it was in the 80s. Yeah. This was so Beverly Hills that they go so far as to say, so Home Fry is like all sad because she doesn't have the 750 for the patch. So she goes running across the wide expanse of lawns of some park or somebody's estate. And then Shelley Long catches up to her at the curb and she's like, wait. And they have their little tete-a-tete. And she eventually gets around to the point, right? The whole po- the whole point of the movie. Well, there were two points in the movie. So <laughs> she gets she gets there. She gets to one of the main points of the movie, which is the most important thing is to have friends. And then the other chick comes over and says, especially friends with money. Yep. And then there's hugging and appreciation. It should also be noted that when Phyllis comes over to comfort her about not having money, she does so. Not by offering money, but by telling her a story where she also, for a minute, felt like she didn't have money when her credit card was cut up. The subtext (laughs) being basically, suck it up, kid. I've been there, too. Sucks that you don't have money. It sucks to not have money, but at least you have friends with money. For a moment, I thought, oh, this is like a, there's like a real, 
enduring, albeit a little shallow, message to it. And then <laughs> she's like, no, but it, but you got friends with money, and that's what really counts. And this was Siskel and Ebert's real problem with this movie, that it had no message, that it was just a character, like a star vehicle for Shelley Long, and it was inconsequential, and they didn't make, they didn't make any real noted parody of the, of the excessive lifestyles of the, of rich people. I mean, it's not like the, uh, maybe it wasn't the same back in the day, but it's not like Culver City is the blue, blue collar, hard knocks neighborhood but that it the was. Red Feathers came from, was it? It was then. So back then, Culver City wasn't, is not the Culver City that it is today. But the studios were still there. Fox and Sony are there. It's true, but it was it was kind of a rough neighborhood for a while. Okay, should have invested while we had the chance. It's, it's unfortunate that we were kids <laughs> at the time. Um, but it, I did think it was funny that Culver City were like the rough kids. Yeah. So there wasn't any commentary, perhaps, on the excessiveness of the Beverly Hills lifestyle. But they did. She did some tidily sum it up at the end. She was like, "We were a team, and therefore we won." And that yeah. was the whole point. Sure. I guess Siskel and Ebert's point was that they didn't parody Beverly Hills in any meaningful way. It just they sort of used the glamour and the excess of wealth to stand in for comedy, which because they also said it wasn't funny. But I mean, I don't know that Beverly Hills itself had to be funny. It was the backdrop for a fish out of water story, I guess, where she was in a situation where her wealth and money couldn't really help her or she used it in in unconventional ways to help her be a better troop leader, albeit an unconventional one. But uh, you think about Beverly Hills as a character in Beverly Hills Cop, right, where we the, a lot of the excess and just how things are done kind of differently, but that didn't really, it didn't really have an impact. It's just a, a cop from a different city who is has to learn how to navigate slightly different waters. Basically, Beverly Hills being its own ecosystem. Yeah, and people have different states of mind and, and different priorities when it comes to excessive wealth. You know, so I was watching this movie and I was dreading the dance scene and I was dreading the Freddy. <laughs> and I remember in my head there being like six Freddy scenes that were just thrown in there. Like I obviously there's the cookie time number and I, I almost remember this movie being a half-assed musical where they're like there's then there's a montage and they're doing the Freddy down the lawn. And like they're oh, doing they do the Freddy the... at like a convention or whatever. And I'm like, why do they keep doing this stupid Freddy dance? And I was gratified. Because Shelley Long looks so adorable when she does yeah. it. And I was gratified to find that they only did the Freddy twice. Once was in the dance montage, which in an, in an 80s wonder, wonder years kind of style must have been the most expensive musical montage of all time unnecessary for them like to get a dancing badge they played like they licensed like six songs to do six different dances yeah but they were all like classic songs sure but still expensive and then you have to license and then you had and then they did the freddy for the old folks where the lady rolled down the hill in the wheelchair thankfully less freddy than i remember way more kumbayas than i remember yeah like there were at least four or five kumbayas it's just a mainstay of of uh, wilderness girls and and scouting life. The first Kumbaya was kind of a non sequitur, especially when she's like drenched and miserable and singing it. Are you kidding? And then that there were was... a couple of instrumentals. But that non sequitur moment, that was the first horror scene of the movie where the girls were screaming their heads off and there was real peril as to whether or not she would make it in her fur, weighed down by her fur coat out of the rain and under the cover. Her gleaming white fur coat. 
Yeah, and that was the Lucy-esque kind of slapsticky, you know, physical comedy moment, which I really liked. Yeah, she's dragging herself through the mud. Because the only other real moment of peril was crossing the log at the end where the girls are screaming and there's real danger. That's not true. There was the snake. There was the skunk. There were the scary stories by the fire. I think that the snake and the skunk literally happened during a montage. Yeah, it was kind of them trooping through the woods montage. What happened yeah. to that skunk, by the way? The, the Velda picked it up and said that it was going to pay for it. Velda just defies all conventions, right? When everyone else is running away, she's picking the skunk up by the tail. And after she breaks her ankle, you know, when it comes down to it, she hops up and and storms resolutely to her Jeep and floors it and takes off. She's not hurt at all. Well, she's the ultimate wilderness girl. Yeah. The address. She's, she's the, the only, only she's the only girl. wilderness girl. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yep. So I'm I can't believe that we've waited 30 years for Velda's Avengers. <laughs> like, why haven't we seen the sequel to Troop Beverly Hills yet? Because Betty Thomas left. Um, her role as Velda Plender was her last acting role. And she actually became a successful uh, director and directed her arch nemesis, Shelley Long, in the Brady Bunch movie. No way. Yep. So Velda n- never returned because Betty Thomas never returned to acting after this role. Although she did appear in the Good Morning America Troop Beverly Hills reunion a couple of years ago. She was great in an 80s kind of way. Yeah. Iconic villain, right, for the for an 80s movie like this? Absolutely. And I thought that um, Annie Herman, Boya Yoing, was great, too. <laughs> yeah, because she makes a decided turn and comes into her own. And as much as she's meek uh, as Herman, uh, yeah. In a way, Velda and Phyllis are two sides of the same coin. Velda thinks she's the only wilderness girl. And Phyllis thinks that she can be a wilderness girl whereas neither of them actually are. And the funny thing is that Annie Herman is the only real wilderness girl. That she needs to have the spin-off movie. Yeah, maybe. Um her and Cheech settled down. Yeah, in her scary outfit where she was like Sandy at the end of Greece, like an uncharacteristic <laughs> outfit. Yeah, she was like a pink bumblebee. It was so bizarre. Yeah. But she's the one that actually believes in the wilderness girl purpose and you know, actually understands the wilderness and actually um, like embraces what it's really about. And so in a way, like her purpose was that purity. She was the actual only wilderness girl. Yeah. And when it's perverted and when the wilderness girl handbook is tarnished and desecrated by putting that little camera in there, she dumps it out and dumps the book out too. Throws out the rule book. But she is totally okay with the girls selling cigars, cigarettes, and cookies. It's just a different era. I'm surprised they weren't smoking during the cookie time number. So um, I'm going to theorize that if there was a ske- uh, sequel to this movie, it should be the the real fallout. And obviously we should have a cameo from uh, Betty Thomas. But uh, yeah, it would be good to have Herman captaining the Red Feathers because the Red Feathers actually won the Jamboree. Not many people know this. No, they didn't because no, they didn't they have... definitely won the Jamboree. Because Troop Beverly Hills hauled their leader in, and Velda crossed the finish line before the entirety of Troop Beverly Hills did. Which means the Culver City Red Feathers, their entire troop, technically crossed the finish line before all of Troop Beverly Hills. That's what the movie should be about. It should be like the Karate Kid fallout, or who actually won the tournament. I think the Jamboree was won by the Red Feathers. 
getting their comeuppance or what? Yeah. Can we just talk about the red feathers for a second? Okay. Did you know that that squeaky, scratchy Velda daughter chick was Tori Spelling? I knew that the other one, the friend, was Tori Spelling. Yeah, and because oh. uh, I'd remember her hearing a long time that that was long time ago that was her first role. Uh, Kelly turned to me and said, "Who is that girl?" And it just clicked. I was like, "Oh yeah, right, that's Tori Spelling." But I also I noted who showed up in other roles from Troop of Beverly Hills. Obviously, the the girl with the red hair, she was in Small Wonder. Kelly Martin, the other girl without yes. the dues, she ended up in Life Goes On in that sitcom. Um, the blonde girl was totally Punky Brewster, right? The, the girl Foster. who was an actress. Yeah. She was Margot, the other rich chick. Yeah. But uh, Cleo, the red feather, uh, Velda's daughter, Ixnay on the mom business or whatever. Yeah. She was totally the Johnny Lawrence of True Beverly Hills, down to the haircut. <laughs> there was no there was no Karate Kid, but she totally like grabbed the trophy and ran away at the end. <laughs> she kind of had that scratchy voice. So the real question is: True Beverly Hills racist? Yeah, it kind of is in an eighties way. Because man, Lily's parents—they were Filipino dictators. At least the dad yeah. was. She, the mom was modeled on Imelda Marcos, who at the time was the first lady of the Philippines and had thousands of shoes. <laughs> and she did call them Dick and Mrs. Dictator. Yeah. But also Jasmine was a pretty sassy black girl. Dude, can you please do your impression of her monologue slash diatribe to the, to the like, police? Excuse me, officer. Like that? Yeah. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get in trouble. But she was so sassy. And then Claire... The white one, she was rich as shit. Yeah. Right? The child star, the blonde child actress. Yep. And then Tessa, who I'm not exactly sure was a Jew, but definitely was the daughter of the Steven Spielberg-esque director. And she was spouting all of the 80s psychobabble. Yeah. She's nerdy and bossy and stereotypical. Yeah. It was all, they were all kind of horrendous stereotypes that were prevalent in the 80s and that feel dated now. Yeah, but does it feel dated in a way that makes it, that it should be held accountable? It was, I feel like it was a pretty innocent movie. All the more innocent because they could do things like swear and smoke, because they really felt, I, I really feel that the heart of this movie is in the right place. They weren't trying to put anybody down, except possibly pick and save in Kmart. You know, it was all about helping the people out who don't have money. And, and what good is being rich if you can't help your friends out with 10 bucks? here and there. But while there were stereotypes and while they could be considered culturally, racially insensitive now, that wasn't the point at the time. It wasn't abhorrent. And I don't think it can be viewed in an updated context that way. It's a good question. And I think that there are some things that are questionable. Like, in addition to all of the kind of offensive stereotypes, she literally gives Lily a wilderness girl patch for laundering money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like this stuff is funny in its absurdity, but yeah. but it's a good question. Like, is it actually indulgent at the least and negligent, you know, on the other side of the spectrum to indulge in this humor and not call it out for what it is? Like, would I feel comfortable with Paloma watching this movie or having those stereotypes delivered, you know, to her in, in an overt way? Like, now, granted, Paloma is quite the negotiator, and if she's any of these girls, she's definitely Tiffany because she, at four, is a vicious negotiator. The ultra-red-headed one. 
the ultra redheaded one who negotiated her dad. 40 bucks. Yeah. And then he also paid her when she got the patches, which was hilarious. But like, would I want her to watch this movie and to emulate these girls? And is the answer yes or no? I mean, I feel like I can appreciate this movie's humor for what it is and kind of hold it at bay because I'm an adult and because I have the sociopolitical context. But I feel like a child going into it doesn't have those defenses. Yeah, it's a long way away from understanding the 80s uh, Filipino dictator. Exactly. So like as a time capsule movie, it's fun, but I don't think I'd want her to see it. Interesting. We're going to have to prevent the sneak. She's, in fact, going to suggest that you introduce your kids to it. So maybe like Splash, also not exactly intended for kids, uh, maybe this is a movie that was maybe best left to 80s kids in a different world and best reviewed by adults who grew up in the 80s watching this movie. Yeah, in a way, it's like after our generation, this movie no longer has an audience. Yeah, maybe it only lives in the hearts and minds of the people who grew up watching it in a different world. This is a movie for lonely mountain men. Really lonely mountain men. Man, and that's discriminatory of mountain men for sure. (laughs) Velda would be totally a mountain man's type of chick. Yep. Okay, should we call her? Sure. All right. Our dedicated Patreon patron... Amy Chafin, boy yo yoing. yoing. <laughs> oh God. Hello, is this Amy Chafin? <laughs> What's up? Hi there. Uh, this is Wesley from Or Whatever Movies. I'm here with my co-host and sister Iris, and you're live to 195 countries. Hello, Wesley. I'm so excited. I love your podcast. It's my favorite. I listen to it every single week. Thank you. So as I'm sure you're aware by now, we were just discussing your Patreon selection. Thank you for your patronage. Troop Beverly Hills. Love that movie. Dun, 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 dun. So why is it a great movie? Because it is silly. And you know what? I actually fell in love with that movie, having never been to California. When I was younger, I watched it. I never got any of the references. The Culver City Red Feathers. I didn't know what that meant. Mar Vista. How many boxes are you going to take, Mar Vista? I had no idea what that meant. No idea. And once I moved here and I started seeing some of those names, I was like, holy crap. So then I watched it again. I watched it last night. You didn't. Um, and I was watching it while I was falling asleep. And I was just like, this is such gold. And it's because it's silly, because it's fun, because it idealizes an iconic era, a concept of what people who have never lived in Los Angeles think of Los Angeles. And also, I was a Girl Scout. So all of those things tied in together. It's just for me, it's just fun. How do you reconcile the L.A. that you now know and love with that caught and captured in True Beverly Hills. Oh, it's not even the same remotely. Not even a little bit. It's kind of like when you watch the Oscars and you're like, oh my God, this is what Los Angeles looks like. And then you go to Hollywood and Highland and you're like, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> it's so all like I dirty mean. and there's like old Big Bird and like janky Super. Spider-Man. Have you seen the janky Spider-Man? Have you seen the janky Big Bird and, and Hello Kitty? <laughs> my God, it is the thing of nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get hepatitis if you touch them. Keep 10 feet of distance, even before coronavirus. 
Well, yeah, be careful because you, you, they will bully you into paying 20 bucks if you touch that them. That is no joke. So here's the thing. Um, you don't know this, but growing up in the suburbs and never being able to drive to Hollywood and definitely mom and dad never took us there. I had no concept of where Mar Vista was either. I knew where Redondo Beach was. Culver City might as well have been Shelby, Ohio. <laughs> I don't think you've been to Shelby, Ohio. That is not a fair comparison. But if nothing else, that just makes more of a snapshot, not of what Los Angeles actually was, but of a, um, a caricature, right? It's like it's like this whole it movie is. is kind of like a comic book, a caricature of what people think right in los angeles is not actually what it was i mean my goodness who actually lives that life are you kidding me i mean this is the same life that they're portraying in pretty woman or in clueless or in beverly hills cop well because that shit sold because people wanted to fall in love with a concept that was so far beyond anything that they can imagine living in their own lives and so they wanted to disappear into that kind of fantasy land so, Amy Chafin, how would yes. you how would you feel if we gave Troop Beverly Hills, your Patreon selection, a disparaging review? Why are you talking like that? I anticipate that someone who doesn't have a personal love for this movie, having watched it when they were younger, to give it something that's a little bit more like, um, yeah, I mean, it was cheesy, it was fun, sure, but if you deny your childhood love for it just because it doesn't live up to some sort of cinematic standard, then I think you're being snobbish and not true to what is pure about film, which in some instances is about the story and about expanding your mind. And in some instances is about something that delights you regardless if you can understand why. We've thoroughly examined this concept of movies that we grew up watching and may or may not hold up as well, you know, in the current age. But the impact that it had both on us as kids and in, in on cinema in general. So excited, Wesley, to know exactly how you specifically felt about that. Because there's only one movie that I can quote inside and out, and it is this movie. And you are the only one who comes close to being able to match me in that. So if you say that this movie was so awful. I have to say you are absolutely betraying your childhood. Thank you so much for your input, Amy Chafin. Thank you for your patronage. We certainly appreciate you. And because of your patronage, because of your recommendation for a film for us to review, I am going to bestow on you the Making It an L.A. patch. For someone who grew up... <laughs> In Ohio, watching Troop Beverly Hills and dreaming about being a filmmaker, you loaded up your car, you drove all the way across the country, you've been here for 11 years producing content, and you deserve it. Congratulations for making it in L.A. Thank you. That's so amazing. I really am going to look on Etsy to see if I can figure out how to create that patch. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, bye. Goodbye. <laughs> Peace out. That was so cool. We just had our first guest on our show. The sneak. And now the time has come for us to give our final ratings on True Beverly Hills. It's awfully dated, right? Fashion is yeah. just ridiculous. Honestly, Rolls Royces haven't changed all that much from the one she's driving. Like Rolls Royces are expensive in the sense that they're like really heavy and they have like, they're like expensive houses where they're just like everything inside of them is expensive, but they're kind of understated and like tanky. Wood grain and junk and, and, and gold plating. Yeah. So this is a big old clunky gold plated wood grained 80s throwback movie that doesn't really have a place in modern cinema. 
but it has an indelible place in our childhoods, right? Yep. True Beverly Hills gets from me an all right rating. Its impact on my wow. childhood cannot be denied. I didn't roll my eyes. Uh, I did, actually, a couple times. But none of this movie was offensive to me. People are too sensitive. Uh, you have to understand and, and view it in context for its place and time, as we had discussed in previous reviews. And I found it entertaining and charming. Uh, I'm also an I Love Lucy fan, so I think the Shelley Long, Lucille Ball connection was great. I think that all those girls kind of found, most of those girls found their place later on in, in different in different uh, TV shows and things. And uh, I like Troop Beverly Hills. What I've realized in this review is that Troop Beverly Hills does not have a future in cinema history. And because of that, I, I almost am like mourning its passing. Like I'm mourning it and celebrating it at the same time. I found well, revisiting Troop Beverly Hills to be really fun in the sense that I viewed it as like an absurdist parody now. Like maybe it doesn't have commentary on the excessive wealth of Beverly Hills, but it has some kind of funny commentary on 80s filmmaking and 80s sensibility and 80s humor. And I found it to be really quotable, countless quotes that were ju- that just rang so absurd to me and not something that I'm going to share with my daughter, but a time capsule of a film and a time capsule kind of from like a, our childhood experience. And it was fun. It felt otherworldly. It felt like something that you could potentially aspire to. I give Troop Beverly Hills an unabashed good with the caveat that I think its time is coming to an end and that I wouldn't share it with my kids. <laughs> Nothing could be more indicative of that sentiment than the fact that True Beverly Hills, now available to rent on Amazon Prime for 99 cents. Look, for how much the sneak talked about this movie, I did wait for it to come around because, I, I, you know, we rented it. I rented it in anticipation of this review and was happy to find that it was only a dollar. But this movie is in demand enough so that people tuned in for reunions of most of the cast. And it never did appear for quote unquote free on Prime or Netflix. It was so the, it has that cachet, at least. Yeah, it does. So this was a milestone episode for us our first patreon requested film our first guest thanks to the sneak for the recommendation and for the contribution to this episode we really appreciate it amy if there's anything you'd like to share about troop beverly hills hit us up 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com thank you for listening and we'll see you next time Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. Touchdown!
On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Electric acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonise your mind, body and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Electric acid.